Hey everybody, uh, this is Joe here and Zach um, here to give you the sermon that we intended to happen last Sunday, but um, for the first time since I've been here, we had a power outage uh, with the storms rolling in last weekend, and so we uh, ended up canceling formal services, still had a kind of first century style worship and prayer time. It was awesome, but we wanted to really make a point to get this uh, sermon out to you guys. So Zach's here um, and he is going to continue in our uh, series. The reason the son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. So Zach, why don't you take it away? Great. Well, Joe, we are looking at a really interesting story from the gospel of Luke today, uh, just around those topics of who is the devil what is his work that Jesus came to destroy, and how does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? So I'm going to read through the, the story. I'm going to read through the text, and then maybe we can pick it apart from, from there. So Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to read in the NIV version, New International Version, starting in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, they being Jesus and his disciples, which was across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at the feet of Jesus, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and Jesus gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, They ran off, and they reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus got in the boat and left. The man, though, whom the demons had gone out from, begged Jesus to go with him. But Jesus sent the man away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, this story occurs in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. Interestingly enough, in Matthew, uh, they record, Matthew records that it was two demoniacs in the story. Mark and Luke choose to report the same incident, but they only focus on one of the two demoniacs. 
Awesome. Well, you were explaining to me a little bit about the background of the location and how that was significant. Why don't you explain a little bit more um, about the, the region that this story takes place in? Totally. Well, I thought this was really interesting. I know most of us probably aren't familiar with Middle Eastern geography around Jesus' time, uh, but the setting of this story really helps bring out what's going on here. In verse 26, it said that they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, the Gerasenes was part of a larger territory called the Decapolis. Deca meaning ten, polis meaning city, so Deca, think decade, uh, polis, you know, Annapolis or Minneapolis city, Decapolis, so you probably get it. It's a region defined by ten cities, uh, of which uh, the Gerasenes was there. Uh, in that region. And the region, interestingly enough, had been started, the cities had been started not by the Jews, as many of the, many of the cities that we read about in the Gospels are more Jewish cities. These cities were founded by the Greeks. They came with a different way of looking at life. They worshiped different gods. They had different values. Uh, their society functioned differently. And they'd been at odds with the Jews for a long time. In fact, the Jews felt like the Decapolis and the cities therein were uh, founded as the leftovers of the Canaanites, who the Jews had been at odds with back uh, even in the beginning of the Old Testament. And so this territory, the Decapolis, was now under Roman rule, but the Romans let the citizens kind of run their Greek way of life as they saw fit if there was not too much of a of a ruckus, but for a Jew, this was a really scary place to go. Again, the lifestyle and the values um, were were just very different than their own, and were uh, in many ways uh, morally corrupt. Um, you would go to this region if you were a Jew, if you were looking to kind of get into trouble mm-hmm. or to have a good time, kind of one of those type of places. You know what, Christina and I were first married. We lived uh, in a house in the ghetto. And when I say ghetto, I mean it was legit the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Uh, our neighbors on the left-hand side of us, we shared a backyard with them. That was an interesting experience. They had two mm-hmm. dogs, Mary and Jane. And so you knew that okay. uh, they were having a good time at their house, and it was fairly chill over there with Mary Jane. And then on the, across the street, there was an alternative school for kids that got kicked out of their public school. Mm-hmm. So every day there would be hundreds of uh, kids with you know, problems roaming the streets by this house. The projects were just behind that school. And uh, <clears throat> then across the street from us, there was a fraternity house. Now, this was an undercover fraternity house. Like they mm-hmm. didn't start on the campus side of the highway. They went on the other side of the highway in the middle of the hood. They had trash bags over their windows. They had people coming and going at all hours of the day. And this was the party house, right? If you came into the neighborhood, why we moved in there? Yeah, I, I was exactly. Wow. Why? Yeah, you're, you're, you're newlyweds and you just kind of get a, an idea. We went for it. There you go. Maybe not the greatest decision we ever made, but we did. And um, <clears throat> our house that we stayed in, interestingly enough, uh, the reason that people moved out of it before us was because it got broken into uh-huh. so many times. And now it has since been condemned 
uh, and torn down because it was not habitable for people. But that's where we were. And anyway, it, you would only come into our neighborhood. If you didn't live there, you'd only come into our neighborhood to find Mary and Jane mm-hmm. or to go to the frat house across the street to have a good time, right? And that's kind of how the Decapolis was. Like it was a place to have a good time uh, in that sense. You know, they think that maybe this is where the prodigal son went in the prodigal son story to kind of sow his wild oats. So that's a little bit about the Decapolis, and it's right here where Jesus chooses to to go. He's on mission uh, to go into this place that's a little bit wild, a little bit crazy, what most people would consider lost, and he goes in there on mission, on purpose, and that's what's, that's what's going on here. Okay, so I think that's really significant because... If I'm reading this passage, that's just really helpful for me to um, just to give context to where where he's going and the people that he's speaking to. This isn't a, another Jewish town. This isn't uh, the, these are people outside of the Jewish faith and orthodoxy. In fact, people that you would say don't go there. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. Even uh, I've heard it. Um, compared the prodigal son story when he, like you mentioned, went to the far off country. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that Jesus is the better older brother mm-hmm. who goes off into the far off country mm-hmm. to find the younger sibling you and bring him back. So this is kind of a picture totally. of Jesus doing that here uh, by going to this region. Totally. It's him going uh, to bring to bring people back, to bring people back to God. And you begin to see a little bit of God's heart, not just for the Jewish people, and not just for uh, religious people, but God's heart for the whole world, that Jesus is going into this region, and he's going to minister to this man. And so the next line uh, in the text says that when Jesus stepped out onto the land, he steps out of the boat onto the land, and I love it from here, there's no mention of the disciples. Like, it's just Jesus... For all we know, the disciples are hiding because of who is right there they when they land. They could still be in the boat, basically. Yeah. They could be in the boat <laughs> with, you know, different things covering them, sure. trying to just stay safe. But Jesus steps out, and there he met a man uh, from the city who uh, was demon-possessed. He, that's what the NIV describes it. He was demon-possessed. And uh, Matthew tells us, in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that no one could pass through that area because of how violent uh, this demoniac was. And so mm-hmm. you kind of have Old West showdown yeah. of here steps Jesus and here steps this demon-possessed, uh, enraged, you know, crazy man. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see what happens next. Yeah, so as you kind of mentioned at different points in the teaching to the series, um, our kind of Western view of the spiritual world and angels and demons and uh, are shaped by movies and things like that. So when we come up to this text where it talks about this man being demon-possessed, just can you unpack that a little bit more so we can understand instead of me just glossing over this as, you know, is this just some supernatural part that I don't understand or it doesn't apply to me today or help us kind of walk in as disciples of Jesus, how should we view that. Yeah. Well, I think that the place that it would be helpful to start is to think about worldview. Uh, The dictionary defines worldview as kind of the way in which you see life, the way in which you understand or make sense of human history. 
particularly the definition is a philosophy of life or conception of the world. That's what a worldview is. Now, a common worldview in our day is a materialistic worldview. Uh, If one holds the worldview of materialism, it's a belief that kind of what you see about life is what you get. There's nothing more beyond what is seen. There's a natural, physical explanation for everything. And if there's anything beyond this world, it doesn't impact this world Mm -hmm. in any substantial way. Mm -hmm. Now, this worldview, the materialistic worldview, uh, is not the worldview of Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's not the worldview that that Scripture gives us of the way life really is. And nor, as I pointed out in the first teaching in this series, is it the worldview of most of human history. There are actually very few people, when you look at the history of humanity, mm-hmm. that have believed in a materialistic uh, worldview. In fact, every major world religion uh, stands at odds with that way of looking at it. So contrast that with what Scripture does give us. What we see Jesus, the way he sees the world, is a supernatural worldview. Mm-hmm. And so let's put this simply. There's a physical realm that we're all familiar with, uh, but there's also a spiritual realm. And these two realms overlap, and they have interaction with each other. Uh, think like prayer, right? That you're, you're interacting with God who is spirit, and those prayers are powerful, right? They have interaction with each other. Mm-hmm. And a supernatural worldview is espoused both by Jesus and by most major world religions. Now, we're probably familiar with the idea of a physical realm. We're probably aware of that. And we probably have a, some awareness of a spiritual realm. But let's dig in there just a little bit. So Scripture teaches that there are spiritual beings who inhabit this spiritual realm, uh, like I said, that can impact the physical realm. There are different types of these spiritual beings, but most often uh, we probably have heard you know, it described as angels versus demons, Good guys versus bad guys, cops versus robbers, right? But that oversimplifies it uh, a bit. And so if you read through Scripture, you see there are a lot of names for these spiritual beings. You see in Luke chapter 15, angels are referenced. In Psalm 80, these spiritual beings called cherubim are referenced. In Isaiah 6, you see another type of spiritual being, a seraphim. In Daniel 4, you see another type of spiritual being called a watcher. In Luke 8 here, what we're reading, you see another type of of spiritual being, a demon. In Deuteronomy 32, you see something called Shedem, which is a territorial spirit. It's a spirit that is assigned to a certain geographical territory. Uh, And then you see Paul references rulers, powers, and authorities as other types of spiritual beings in Ephesians 6. And then in 1 Corinthians 8, he references God's and lords, 1 Corinthians 8, 5. And so you see there's kind of a wide array, a wide cast of characters Mm -hmm. in this spiritual realm. Now, God, Yahweh, the God uh, of Jesus, the God of Scripture, is the God of over all gods. He's the Lord over all lords. He's the king over all kings, uh, both of the physical realm in which we live, but also the spiritual realm as well. And while all these spiritual beings were created with the purpose of honoring and glorifying God, many rebelled and have turned against God and are in fact at war with the great king. So demons are one of those cast of characters, one of those types of spiritual beings who are at war against God and subsequently are at war against humanity. Hmm. Hmm. That's really helpful. I mean, it's not something that I think is... 
what I would maybe choose to do a topical study on on my own right, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's just, definitely in the nerdy section. Well, tonight. it also can get like a little, you know, it's a, it can get a little uh, weird or heady, you know, as I'm kind of thinking about the God of Gods and the cherubim and the watchers. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like I can get off into a ditch pretty easy. Um, but I think as I'm looking at scripture and just the scriptural examples that you just listed out, uh, I want to come to the text as a learner and say, God, would you show me? And the scripture even says, I don't want you to be ignorant, like Paul speaking to the Corinthians. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things, about yeah. spiritual gifts. I don't. Uh, and and there's other parts in the in the scripture where it says, you know, we we're not going to be ignorant of, of the devil's schemes. Right. And so, uh, just from a place of not fear, but wanting to to learn more, um, to be prepared. I think this is really good to learn more about. Totally. I've heard it said that if we're not aware of these things, that Christians can often be defeated by a battle they don't even know that they're in. Mm. So it's really helpful to think about. Now, one kind of piece of terminology that I think is really important as we're looking at this text in particular is if you're reading in the NIV, which I read to you, it describes the man as demon-possessed. I would submit to you uh, that the way that the ESV and many others translate it provides more clarity on what the nature of the problem is. Those translations say the man has a demon. And the reason for this is twofold. Number one, uh, the term demon-possessed is actually not found in Scripture. It was articulated later by a Jewish historian and then subsequently became uh, integrated into the language of the church. Uh, So it was a term or a category that would not have been used by the writers of Scripture. And the second, probably more important point for our discussion, is that when we say demon-possessed, it gives too much authority to the enemy. It disempowers the person involved in the story, and it disempowers us in our lives. So as a church... We want to use the term uh, someone has a demon or someone is demonized instead of saying demon-possessed. And again, as we get through this, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll show why more clearly the language choice is really important if we really want to take part in partnering with Jesus and helping people work through these issues. I like that. Okay. So just the simple nuance of instead of demon-possessed, which gives a little bit more uh, spotlight or credence to the demon instead of saying someone might have a demon or they're demonized in other words empowering the person and is that what you're saying yeah it's being clear about the condition but it also looks at the person as uh, an image bearer of god yeah. they have authority and they have honor rather than kind of some person that now is no longer a person they're just like a demon robot and even or a choice sort. and a will in the midst of exactly yeah okay yeah okay so uh as we keep reading right we learn about this man so in verse uh, 27 and then 28 and 29 it says this that this man for a long time had not worn clothes or lived in a house but had lived in the tombs and when he saw jesus he cried out shout at the top of his voice we read that part For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of him. Now, listen to this. Many times that spirit had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had had broken his chains and was being driven by the demon into solitary places. So we start to see some of the effects of the demonization 
on this man, the way that, that the devil really is seeking to destroy his life. Mm. And so I want to uh, read the same little passage in the Gospel of Mark because it adds some nuance to it. Yeah. Uh, and it describes it like this. The man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons from his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. So I see. We, I think we start to get a, a good picture of some of the effects of, of demonization in someone's life. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this man has to be an extreme case. Like this is yeah. this is intense. But I think for all of us, we can begin to read through these and piece together. Well, how might demonization work in our generation, mm-hmm. in our culture? So some of the things that I saw, and this is. If you're wondering, maybe if you're demonized or if a person that you're uh, friends with is demonized, these are some good uh, indicators that there might be more than meets the eye going on. Number one, the demon had driven him away from his community. It was extreme isolation. He was driven to desolate places. Uh, The second thing is they would impact his physical body. Like it would... uh, make him do things that were just very abnormal contortions, breaking chains. They influence not just his physical body, though it influences his emotions, right? There's this extreme anger and these overwhelming emotions. It influences his voice. The demon is speaking through him. Uh, It empowered and inflamed his destructive behavior. So some addictions that he had, he's now breaking these chains with a superhuman strength. And then we see in the gospel of, of uh, Luke that it bombarded him mentally because later it says he was in his right mind. And so these just bombarding mental thoughts. And then Mark tells us that these demons led him to self-harm, uh, cutting. And that's even commonplace today. I read a stat that one in five teenage girls uh, cuts themselves. Mm. You know, And so you kind of see, oh, maybe these are some of the ways that it might translate yeah. into our world yeah. today yeah so that so kind of bring it to just like you said how do i know like how, do, how does this information help me like what do i do with this i think one of the common fears that i have and maybe other people have is um to either overemphasize or de-emphasize and so we want to walk in wisdom on um these things happening uh it might be because of a demon but then there's just mental illnesses there are uh just medical diagnosis like we speak to that a little bit for us today like how can we um and even in in today it's just all of it's just mental illness like all of it's just scientifically there's an explanation for that um would you help us give give some tips or some guidance on how we can walk in wisdom in this area totally uh well i totally think that's a very valid question and it reminds me of the c.s lewis comment in the screw tape letters that there are two errors to avoid. There's an extreme focus on everything is a demon. Mm-hmm. I got a paper cut that must have been a demon. Uh, to That's one extreme. And the other extreme is nothing is a demon. Mm-hmm. And Lewis makes the comment, he's like, the devil's equally happy with both. Mm-hmm. I think that's a helpful perspective is we're not trying to take the approach that everything is a demon. I mean, interestingly enough, Luke, who's writing this story, 
is a medical doctor. Mm. So obviously he believed that there were things in life that were solved through natural cures and medicine and whatnot. And we want to take that same approach, realizing that there are oftentimes many factors uh, that we want to explore if we're noticing some of these breakdowns, right? We Mm -hmm. want to explore physically. There could be, you could be having hormone problems. You could be having a sickness in your body. And so I'd encourage you, if you think that you might be demonized or you are friends with someone, you think they might be demonized, have them go to their doctor, Mm -hmm. go to your doctor, get a physical, get your blood levels tested, like, like explore the physical causes. Think about, it's amazing how much sleep or lack thereof impacts and influences us uh, in mm-hmm. our lives. So what's your sleep like? What's your nutrition right. like? What's your diet like? What Are you a healthy person physically? Mm-hmm. And there might be something that you find that just has a physical uh, problem that needs to be dealt with in physical means. You need mm-hmm. to sleep a little more uh, instead of sleeping three hours yeah. a night and then feeling like you're hearing voices uh, because you, <laughs> you're just so tired, right? It happens. Yeah, it, it happens. Baby's crying all the there time. There you go. Baby's crying all the time. That might be reality in, <laughs> in your world. Um, but in addition to physical, there's also the emotional relational side, right? We're deeply intertwined people. And so oftentimes there are relationships that are uh, broken or things that we've been through emotionally that influence us and impact our emotions, our minds, our will, all of those things. And so we want to explore also kind of the emotional, relational dynamic that could be at the root of some of these problems. In the mm-hmm. School of Transformation, which I would encourage you, if you're listening, to, to go through, we take time to teach students ways to, quote unquote, look under the iceberg and kind of explore the emotional or relational aspect of their lives. So that's the second category. And then the third category, and this is important, is that we want to also be aware that there could be spiritual causes to some of the problems that we're facing. So not to be blind and just rule that out, but also not to say everything is a, you know, is a demon and everything is this spiritual realm that's mm-hmm. that's influencing me. So we want to be balanced, whole people, yeah. and be holistic in our approach. No, it's helpful to me and I guess anyone else is listening that has a question on what do I do with either myself or you know maybe a family member or someone that systematic kind of guardrail approach of just going through physically, emotionally, and then spiritually uh, those checklists. Yeah, I think that's that's helpful. So let's go back to our story. Uh, we see that when the demonized man sees Jesus, he begins to shout, right? What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. And in verse 29, we begin to understand why is he crying out? For Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. So uh, this demon is upset. He had a nice home, a nice little assignment, terrorizing this man and was not interested in moving on. So in verse 30, Jesus asks him, what's your name? And he responds, Legion, because many demons had gone into him. So this is an important point uh, that, that can be missed. A legion was a group of Roman, a regiment of Roman military soldiers, 6,000 soldiers. Mm-hmm. And again, remember uh, the Decapolis, uh, the, the um, uh, Judea uh, are under Roman rule. 
right? And, and so then these ideas of these legions of soldiers would have been common. And one of the things that the Romans were known for doing with these legions is they were taking new territories, so they would use terror or revenge tactics to kind of subdue local populations. And so these demons grouped under this name Legion are kind of doing that to this man. It's this outside force that's coming in, that's terrorizing him, that's uh, taking out uh, things on him, terrorizing this man. Mm. The man has significant problems, uh, but behind these mental, physical, and emotional and relational problems was a spiritual problem in this case. It was demonization. There were unseen forces at work mm. in the man's life. Wow. So kind of bringing it forward and just seeing, again, the hope and the power that's represented in Jesus going to this man across the lake and then confronting him. Um, I mean, that's just amazing to me. So, um, so yeah, so but I guess with, again, trying to give people some some guardrails for how to uh, know how to approach or um, get help. How does one become demonized? Like, how does that even happen? Yeah, well, that's a great question because as you start to uh, read this, I mean, mm-hmm. your mind, you know, starts going there. And, and I just want to say, uh, I remember uh, early in my spiritual journey of following Jesus, I went to a class with a friend. That I didn't know was on this topic and it totally freaked me out I mean I was just like this is wild and then I was like do I have a demon I mean all these things right and so I just want to say we're not uh, learning about this so that we live in fear and we're just afraid of everything but we're talking about this so that we can live uh, in faith not as victims but as victors not as you know people that are um, Conquered, but as conquerors, not as slaves, but sons and daughters. Right. And so, not from a perspective of fear, but from a perspective of wisdom. Let's let's look at how does one become demonized. It's important to remember that nowhere in Scripture do you find like a letter or a book that explains this all in one place, entirely in one fold. God, in His wisdom. Uh, did not see, I guess, the need to put like a you know encyclopedia or Wikipedia of demonization. But here's some things that we see in Scripture. Number one, undealt with sin. When we have sin in our lives that's undealt with, uh, meaning we don't repent and uh, turn from that sin, then we give the devil a foothold. We see this in mm-hmm. Ephesians four, right? In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil. A foothold. So it's that idea of space that the enemy has because we essentially open a door for him to come into our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we choose sin and choose to hold on to sin, we are opening the door of our lives to demonic influence and agenda. John Wimber, who is the founder of the Vineyard Movement of Churches, described it like this, that when we hold on to sin, that we are like an airport runway with all the lights on showing the way for the demons to enter. I like that. It's just kind of a visual picture. Another one that I've heard mm-hmm. is to think of demons like flies. Flies gravitate to, and they're attracted to rotting garbage, right? So if you don't want flies in your house, you take the rotting garbage out. Mm-hmm. If you don't want demons in your life, make sure you're taking out the garbage of sin. Mm. Now, 
uh, one of the questions that we received was, okay, so do things like media, TV, songs, etc., cetera, uh, do those give access in our lives to the demonic? Because maybe we're not the ones doing the actions, but we're observing that or listening to it, these, these you know, people uh, partaking of mm-hmm. blatant sin. So how does that work? Well, unequivocally, yes. And we, we understand this. Everyone understands this at a level that we are impacted by what we set our minds right. and our ears and our eyes on. We become like what we behold. So if I'm willfully choosing to marinate my mind and my heart in darkness, why would I not expect it to impact me? I mean, maybe I don't turn into a Satanist or start acting like this demoniac we're reading about, but let's not kid ourselves. Like we, We're impacted by what we consume. Mm-hmm. So you'll be giving a list of what to watch and what not to watch. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to tell you what shows to watch, books to read, music to listen to, etc. That's going to be between uh, an individual and the Lord. Yeah. Uh, both, But both with our lives and if you're a parent, with your kids' media access, mm. let's use wisdom and let's err on the side of purity rather than on the side of license. Like let's let's be wise in this area and not just open up the doors of our lives to all sorts of darkness. Mm. Don't bring garbage into your home. Don't bring garbage onto your TV screen. Don't bring garbage onto your computer screen. Don't bring garbage into your mind. Right, repeated willful sin will give the devil a foothold in our lives, mm. and that's why the terminology that we talked about at the beginning is so important. When we refer to people as demon possessed, we limit our own responsibility in the matter, but our choice choices matter, and we're powerful people. And so, when we can own our part in sin, then we can also own our part in repentance, and we can own our part in pursuing. Healing, right? Mm-hmm. We are powerful people made in the image of God, so mm-hmm. our choices matter. Now, second way that someone becomes demonized is through uh, witchcraft, magic, sorcery, kind of all the, the like there. Now, I'm not wanting you to think that, you know, the the deck of cards where you can do a card trick and, you know, guess somebody's number that they have, you know, what card mm-hmm. they have that that's like, oh, now you're demonized. I'm not saying that. But we see in the book of Acts in chapter 19, the city of Ephesus, and we see in Deuteronomy 18 in the Old Testament, a very uh, aware realization that there are dark powers at work through people who practice sorcery or through people who uh, do incantations or making little spells or making little objects or spells or potions to facilitate contact with and empowerment from demonic powers. And it's interesting, some of these things are just embedded into our culture. I remember as a kid being at school and friends daring one another to go in the the bathroom, turn out the lights, say this, you know, series of chants and that you would see an evil spirit, you know, you channel an evil spirit. I was watching a basketball game the other day and they had some sort of doll that represented the other team's best player and they were poking pins in it, Mm -hmm. like some sort of voodoo doll that they very much believed had had an influence. Like it's just, there's so many things that are just embedded within our culture that are uh, maybe, maybe familiar with, but are really rooted in magic and sorcery, and they're trying to harness dark spiritual powers. Hmm. So that's another way we can become demonized. Hmm. 
It's a good point. Something I wouldn't think about normally. So we have uh, the um, undealt with sin, yeah. and then talked about sorcery, witchcraft, which I think can be a joke in most senses. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, go do this thing. But for us to just be wise about what are some other um, other possible ways uh, that one can be demonized or kind of leave a door open. Yeah, if you're intentionally calling on and trying to conjure evil spirits. Uh, it only makes sense that you would be opening yourselves up to being demonized yeah. by doing that, right? Okay. Third one uh, that Scripture gives us is something called a territorial spirit. We see it in Deuteronomy. We also see it in Daniel, uh, that with certain land or certain empires, there are spiritual powers attached or behind those things. So if you're interested in this, read Daniel 10. But sometimes based on where we live, or based on organizations that we are a part of or, or under, partner ourselves with, mm-hmm. we can open up the doors of our lives to demonic forces. If you're really interested in this, I'd encourage you to nerd out on a book called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. Uh, he's a Bible scholar and walks through old and new, more than maybe you ever thought was possible on this topic. Very, very helpful. Fourth way someone could become demonized, that we're going to talk about today is a religious spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that when people were sacrificing food or other things to idols, that they actually were sacrificing those things to demons. So these little idol statues of these various gods, Paul is saying, hey, there's more than meets the eye right here. Behind this religious statue of this false religion is a dark spiritual power, a demon that people are actually interacting with and engaging with. And interestingly enough, Jesus identifies that sometimes these religious spirits uh, masquerade in people or are carried by people who have a little bit of a Christian veneer, right? Matthew 24, Jesus warns about false messiahs, so false saviors, false prophets who will appear and they will perform great signs and wonders, in order to deceive. So they have this spiritual power at work in their lives, but the, the, the goal is to deceive people, is to trick people, is to lead people away from Christ. And so you see that within the world of religion, there's spirits at work that we can open ourselves up to by our own religious practices. So those are some examples. Again, there's not an exhaustive list, but I think that gives us at least a starting point of thinking through for us or maybe mm-hmm. helping someone else consider uh, if they, you know, might have opened themselves up to a demon. So let's jump back into our story. Verse 32. So the man is, the, the demons are saying, please don't send us out, you know, or don't send us out of the territory. Don't send us into the abyss, uh, the pit of hell. Uh, would you send us into those pigs, right? Mm-hmm. In verse 32, there's a large herd of pigs that were there. They were feeding and the demons were begging uh, Jesus to let them go into the pigs and Jesus gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. It's a really bizarre story. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of theories on why Jesus allowed the demons to enter the pigs. I mean, I think we get why he's casting the demon out of this man. But why into the pigs? Like, did he not like bacon? Like, what's the deal? Right? And I think many of those theories, uh, they may be worthwhile. But since none of the gospel writers focus on 
the moral of this story is about why the demons went into the pigs, I want to point our attention to the big idea that Luke and the other gospel writers are pointing us to focus on. Mm. That Jesus, our King, the Son of God, has come to destroy the works of the devil. It's he who cared for this man enough to come to him when everyone else was running away. And it was he who had the power to do what physical force could not. Jesus cast these demons out of the man, and the man is restored to his right mind. He's sent back to his family and friends with a testimony of Jesus' goodness and power. When we studied Luke 4, we saw that Jesus has come to set captives and prisoners free. And here we see that in action. That's our Jesus. Hmm. That's our King, right? The focus of the story is not the devil or his work. The focus of this story is to lift up Jesus and to set our eyes on him. I love what the early church father, Jerome, who's probably most famous for translating the Bible into Latin, wrote about this. He said to remember that in the presence of our Savior, demons are tormented. Jesus just shows up and the demons are saying, please don't torment us. In the presence of our Savior, demons are tormented. And so really, if you think you are demonized or you think someone you're working with might be demonized, the secret to getting darkness out is simple. It's letting Jesus in, letting the light of the world in. Christ is our light and he has come and he has overcome the darkness. Mm-hmm. That's how we drive darkness out. And that's how we get free of demons, just like this man did. We let Christ in and his power into our lives, his righteousness into our lives. Mm. So there's a little bit of a ruckus after that, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the people are like, what in the world has gone on here? This is crazy. They're terrified. We don't know why they're afraid. If they're afraid of loss of income, they're afraid about power, whatever. And they send Jesus away. They're just like, please go away from here. So again, very bizarre ending to this story, right? <laughs> just like, what in the world? Yeah, you'd think they know this guy's in his right mind. They'd want to know more, but they're they're afraid. But I think what, what sticks out to me, and just I love what you said about this story, isn't about so much the demons, but about lifting up Jesus and who he is and how he comes to him. And I just think for us today, it's just so hopeful for me as a reminder in my own story of how Jesus came to me and how the gospel is the power of God to salvation and how it's through repentance and belief of of basically saying, I do want you to, (laughs) I want to respond to you. And Jesus is pursuing people. Uh, He's coming on the boat, you know, all the time, knocking on people's uh, the doors of people's hearts, so to speak, and as we respond to him, then darkness flees. Yeah, I love that. It's I beautiful. Love that. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing you said is you would think people who saw this man would respond. Mm-hmm. And what we see is when the man asks Jesus if he can go with him, Jesus says, "No, I want I want you to go back to these people who just told me to leave, who just said get out. I want you to go back to them, mm. and I want you to tell them of all that God's done for you." Which the man goes and tells of all that Jesus has done for him, right? And so you see, again, just the, the extravagant mercy and love of Jesus that even these people who rejected him in the moment, he's sending you know, this missionary, this transformed person back to his people. And later in the Gospels, we see Jesus return to Decapolis. Mm-hmm. And we see that instead of people sending him out, there are now crowds that gather around him. They bring their sick to him. 
and they're very open because how? They heard this man's testimony. They mm. saw the transformation in his life. And even though in the moment they didn't have a category or just an openness to Jesus, seeing it lived out in front of them, mm-hmm. the next time Jesus comes around, I mean, their hearts are soft and they're responsive. I just think that's such a beautiful kind of ending mm-hmm. to the story of this man uh, in Scripture. Awesome. Well, thank you for going through this passage, which is familiar, but I think I learned a few things about the the capitalists and the region that they're going into, as well as um, just going into the ways to be aware, not to be overly concerned, but just to be aware of uh, demon, not demon possession, but having a demon and then just lifting up Jesus and just in our world that is uh, in a lot of ways crying out for for help and for answers that uh, we can, with our testimony, uh, be a light, just like the totally. uh, the man who had the demon in this story uh, went back to his city and was a light to them. So thank you. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. Hey, and for everybody listening, just as a reminder, this was part three of a three-part teaching series. And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first two parts because they put together uh, a number of the, the puzzles that kind of make a whole a whole picture together. And we started this series by saying that we we're trying to increase our puzzle pieces, right? Mm-hmm. How big is your puzzle? And hopefully these have filled in some gaps for us that help us to see more clearly the beauty of Jesus in Scripture and to see Him at work in our lives in a, in a greater way. If you have any questions or any needs, please feel free to reach out to us at hello at antiochdallas.org. We love you and we'll see you soon.